So if you've been here a while, you know that there's a running joke between Tony and me that uh, I get all the really hard passages. And, uh, and uh, while I love poking fun at him, in each one of those cases, it's the Word of God, and I love being able to preach it. And it just happens to work out that way. In this case, Tony was in California this week, no time to prepare. He's here this morning, but uh, here I am. So, uh, you know, we're going to talk about giving. And giving is not a difficult topic for me to preach on. It's really not. Uh, and the reason is, it's an opportunity to teach about God's blessing. Now, what's made people scared to teach on giving is greed. See, greed is sin, and it corrupts what it touches. And a generation of us saw TV preachers living in expensive houses, going on TV every day and telling people that they knew the formula to make God give them money. And that formula always involves sending money to people on TV. And one of the things that I will say is that anyone who tells you that if you do something, God has to do something else, they need a lesson in the sovereignty of God, right? They need to understand who God is, and you really shouldn't be seeking spiritual advice from them. So, <clears throat> as we re we're here this morning, uh, what God loves to do is he loves to bless his people, and we're going to see that in 2 Corinthians. So let's open to 2 Corinthians 8, and uh, we'll begin in verse 1. If you're using one of the Bibles we handed out, it's page 806. So, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, See that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. So this book is written by the Apostle Paul. Now the Apostle Paul was a man who hated Christians and hauled them off to prison before he met Jesus. And after that moment, he became a fervent evangelist and a leader in the early church. Now in Paul's work, he's connected to the church as a whole, not just any individual fellowship. And he's going to open this section of his letter to the Corinthians by telling them about what God is doing in another church, that of the church of Macedonia. 
Now let's see what's going on. If we look at verse 1, it says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Now don't miss that. The grace that God has given. The Greek word is charis. And I find the definitions that are attached to charis fascinating. It means things which produce well-being, grace, favor, beauty, thankfulness, gratitude, delight, kindness, expression of favor, good turn or a benefit. I saw one English definition that tried to boil all this down that said it this way. The free and unmerited favor of God as manifested in the salvation of sinners and the bestowal of blessings. So what if we were to take that sentence, that opening verse 1, and just try to pack all that charis means into that verse? It might read something like this. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the free and unmerited favor of God, the bestowal of blessings, the kindness and the benefits that God has given to the Macedonian churches. Now, chances are the Corinthian church has a pretty good idea of what's been happening in Macedonia. And although what they went through at this time has been lost to us, it's likely that the Corinthians wouldn't think of the Macedonians as receiving grace, as receiving favor. Right? So let's look at verse 2. Verse 2 says, In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty... Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I think of the free and unmerited favor of God, the bestowal of blessings and the kindness and benefit, I don't usually follow that up with severe trial and extreme poverty, right? That's just not how I tend to think about that. But this is the context in which this message is given. In the midst of severe trial, despite their extreme poverty, their overflowing joy welled up in rich generosity. And how rich was that generosity? Well, they begged to be allowed to be part of what God was doing. Now, how many of you have begged to give away your money? Yeah, I didn't get any hands in the first service either, right? But that's just it. This is how the Macedonian church was responding. They didn't want to be left out. In fact, They gave as much as they were able and then some. They gave sacrificially to the work of the Lord. Why did they do that? Because they didn't want to miss out. They didn't want their situation to cause them to miss out on God's blessing that comes through obedience to him. And their giving has served as an example to generations of Christ followers. And here we are we have the opportunity to see how to respond to God's desire for us. So what does that mean? Well, first of all, when you look at the Macedonian church, I think one takeaway for us is that our circumstances don't matter. No matter what we're going through, God still wants to bless us through our giving. You know, I remember the year that Patty got pregnant with Grace. And she was really insistent that she stay home when the baby was born. Now, as I looked at that, we didn't have the money for her to stop working. Now, let me give you some context here. 
pretty much for the bulk of my career, I've been in charge of multi-million dollar budgets. I can spreadsheet with the best of them. I've only ever met one person, Corey Mitchell, who can out-spreadsheet this guy, right? <clears throat> but other than Corey, I can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with anybody. I know numbers. I know how to run numbers. I understand numbers. I think that way. And I can tell you, I couldn't make it work. I looked at the budget, I ran it every different way I could, and other than magically adding in numbers, which is a no-no, right, I, it didn't work. And I, I, every way I ran it, we were $200 short every month. And I looked at my wife and I said, well, sweetheart, we have $2,400 in the bank, that gets us a year. Now, I don't recommend this plan, okay? We've got one year and then we're out of money and I don't know what we'll do then. But, but here's the thing. Never in those conversations did we go, what if we didn't give? That was never even on the table, but it definitely would have made that difference. But, but that wasn't what we were called to, right? We knew God has called us to respond a certain way. Now, God did provide. When Grace was born, first of all, we didn't know what was coming. She nearly died on us. She was in the hospital for three weeks, and they sent her home with the instructions of, you cannot let her cry. Now imagine if our daughter was in daycare and we went, oh, by the way, right? you can't let this child cry. That would never fly. Patty had to be home, and God knew that, but we didn't, but we were obedient to him, and he took care of us. Now, interestingly, about a year later, God moved us to another church, and I really didn't want to go, but this was part of his plan for us. And in selling our house, we had an ample amount of money that allowed us to do some neat things that we'll talk about later. <clears throat> Secondly, how much you make doesn't matter, right? The Macedonian church was in, quote, extreme poverty, which is something that none of us in this room have experienced. None of us. So LEFC partners with the Aurora Primary School in South Africa. That school educates and gives the hope that comes from knowing Jesus to a bunch of children that come from a shantytown. Now, if I understand Pastor Tony correctly, that shantytown has a million people living in like one square mile. That is really, really tight. And their houses are basically made of trash. So leftovers, boxes, corrugated plywood, anything they can find, that's what their houses are made of. And those kids, although they're fed when they're at Aurora, when they go home for the weekend, oftentimes they don't eat until they come back to school on Monday. That's extreme poverty, right? Nobody living in Lancaster County understands what it feels like to live in trash and not know when their next meal is going to come, right? That's what extreme poverty is. And yet, the Macedonian church gave. The Macedonian church gave out of their extreme poverty so here's the thing, no matter what we make, none of us are prohibited from experiencing the grace of God because of our poverty. So what matters then? If, it, if our situation doesn't matter, if our income doesn't matter, what matters? Well, our state of mind, right? Our heart matters. The Macedonians, their state of mind was one filled with overflowing joy. And that overflowing joy moved them to rich generosity even in the midst of extreme poverty and severe trial. So when trials hit, are you filled with overflowing joy, right? Or are you spilling over with rage and despair? 
Are you focused on what God has given you? Or are you focused on what you lack compared to someone else? So where does this joy come from? If you'll turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. I just want to look at the source of this overflowing joy for the Macedonian church. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now this is one of those verses that we tend to like glaze over. We don't even really read. It's just sort of the introduction. It's not important. But it actually is. Right? It's telling us something. Peter is writing to the exiles. That means he's writing to people who are not where they want to be. They want to be together in one place in community, and instead they've been scattered to all these different regions. But secondly, it says he's writing to the elect. That is, he's writing to people who are followers of Jesus. He's writing to the church. He's writing to Christians. Verse 2. You've been a chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Now, I can tell you right now, that's a good sermon series, just that verse, right? There's a lot of theology packed into the words I just said. And if I tried to cover it all today, we'd be here till like 4.30. So we're going to skip a lot of it, but I want to zero in on the idea of sanctification, right? Sanctification is a big word that means the work of God in our lives, making us holy. Followers of Jesus, through the work of of the Holy Spirit are being made obedient to Jesus Christ. And then it says being sprinkled by his blood. That simply means these believers are made holy by the work of Jesus on the cross, by his sacrifice. Like I said, there's a ton of theology in that verse, but that's all I'm going to say at this moment because I'm supposed to be talking in 2 Corinthians. But it's a great passage. Um, Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Man, these are awesome words. New birth into a living hope. You know, I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know what your state of mind is. But I'll bet that some of us walked into this room feeling anything but hopeful. Right? Maybe you aren't a follower of Jesus. Maybe you walked in here today skeptical of God, skeptical of the church. You didn't like the look of our building. You got a little cynical when you saw the graphics in our lobby about a building program. And now here's the preacher talking about money. Right? Maybe that's how you walked in today, but it's my prayer that you walk out completely different, transformed by a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. There is a God. He is completely holy and perfect, and he wants a relationship with every single person in this room. And unfortunately, every one of us has fallen short of what God has called us to be. Every one of us. Our sin makes relationship with God impossible. Our sin carries with it a penalty. In fact, it carries the death penalty. So how does someone who has the death penalty on their head have overflowing joy? Because that penalty has been paid, and it's been paid by Jesus. 
the Son of God, the perfect sacrifice. He died, he took the penalty, we didn't have to. And he paid that price. And now being free of the burden of our sins is the best news we could ever have. Amen? Every single person in this room that knows Jesus has gone from being hopelessly lost to being born into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. If you've never decided to follow Jesus, consider what you're missing out on. Now let's continue with 1 Peter. Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer in all kinds of trials. These have come so the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. See, being a Christian doesn't exempt you from the trials of life. Indeed, God uses those trials to our benefit. But through those trials, we do not despair because we have hope. As Christians, we know what the future holds, and it is glorious. Let's continue. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. See, now we see what the Macedonians had the inexpressible and glorious joy brought on by receiving the salvation of their souls. Have you ever received such great news that you just can't wait to tell it to somebody? This is better than that news. The inexpressible and glorious joy that comes from knowing we are free. Our sins are forgiven. As that song Ken sang, to run out of the grave and know I am free. We are blessed children of God. <clears throat> this, this is what the Macedonian church focused on. What Jesus had done for them, not their poverty, not their trials, none of those things, they were filled with the inexpressible joy, a joy that overflowed into every aspect of their lives. When you look at that, when you think of what that church was going through, you realize we have no excuses God calls us to obey him in giving regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in. But it's bigger than that. Right? He doesn't want us to go into the offering plate like a man to the gallows. He wants us to give cheerfully. Right? So look what happened to the Macedonians. They pleaded with Paul to be allowed to give. Why? Because of their overflowing joy in the Lord. And what did the Macedonian church receive? They received the grace of God, the free and unmerited favor of God, the bestowal of blessings, kindness, and benefits. God blessed the Macedonians through their giving. Now notice, they didn't earn his favor through their giving, but he blessed them in that act of giving. So Paul isn't just writing to tell the Corinthian church about what the Macedonian church is doing, but he wants the Corinthians to think about that in relationship to their own church, and us as well. So if we look at verse 6, we need to go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we'll continue in verse 6. (coughs) 
So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love which we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were not only the first to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not. So first of all, Paul's use of the word grace of charis is intentional. It is a simultaneous work of the Lord in our lives as we give to others in response to what God is doing. Now there's other words he could have used. There's the Greek word, uh, where'd it go? Doron. Doron simply means gift. Right? If this was just about moving money around, Paul would have, would have done that, but he didn't. He used charis. He used grace for a reason. And it's not about moving money around, it's about giving and receiving the grace of God at the same time through a monetary gift. Now let me say that again. When we give in obedience to God, we are giving and receiving grace. This is why Paul talks about the grace God has given to the Macedonians by their giving, right? This means when we give to the work of the Lord, we are experiencing God's grace as we share this grace with others. What an incredible opportunity to, to experience God's grace. No wonder the Macedonians begged to be part of it. So in this passage, the Corinthian church appears to be maybe cooling towards the idea of being part of the greater work of God, right? Maybe they're beginning to really focus internally and they seem to be thinking, you know, we're way richer than these other churches and and maybe we shouldn't just give all our money away. And, And I think this is key, right? A year earlier, they were the first to give and the first to want to give. What Paul is doing is reminding them of their promise for their sake. And Paul is also holding them to their word, right? They wanted to do this, they promised to do this, and he wants them to have integrity in the things that they said. So then it says this, give in accordance to what you've been given. See, Corinth was a very wealthy city. It was the third most important city in the Roman Empire. It was right on the water, it was a crossroads of trade, In fact, there was a man in the church named Erastus. Erastus was the treasurer of Corinth and was exceedingly wealthy. I believe Erastus could have outgiven the Macedonian church by himself. But you know what God wants? He wants the heart of the giver. That's what he's interested in. It's not the amount. He wants the heart. And that's why he tells us about the Macedonian church as well. In fact, if you think to the Gospels and you think of the widow's might, why did Jesus praise the widow? because she gave out of her nothingness. It isn't about the amount. So practically speaking, this is why Paul doesn't exercise his apostolic authority. Right? He could absolutely command the church to give. 
But what he wants is a heart overflowing with incredible joy into rich generosity. And this doesn't come with a set of rules and numbers to follow. You know, I don't believe it's an accident that there's no percentages or amounts talked about in the New Testament, right? In fact, it's not that, it's, that there's no giving. Quite the contrary, when you look in Acts, people weren't just giving from their income. They were selling their possessions and giving. There's extreme generosity shown in the New Testament. So let's move on to chapter 9, and let's see how we should respond to God's words and giving. So 2 Corinthians chapter 9 We'll start with verse 1. There is no need, for me to write in, uh, no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people. For I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. Now isn't that interesting? So, What's happened here is that Paul told the Macedonians about the generosity of the Corinthians, and that encouraged them to give. And then now he's telling the Corinthians about the generosity of the Macedonians to encourage them to give. This is, in some ways, accountability, right? It's people that are seeking the Lord together, spurring one another on to good works as they understand what he's doing. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised." Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. So if you think back to when I taught on 1 Corinthians 16, Paul set instructions that money was to be set aside every week so there'd be no drama when it was time for Paul to collect the funds. So apparently the people in Corinth are really not any different than people in 21st century America, right? If we don't set money aside to give, if we don't actually plan for it, what happens to it? We spend it, right? Because there's always shiny things <laughs> that we want. And whatever it is that we're into, we can always find something to spend our money on. And if we don't, somebody will come and tell us what to spend it on, right? Like, it is not hard for us to, to find ourselves in a situation where we have no money left at the end. Now, in this case, there was a lot of time between the collections. And so Paul really didn't want to show up and find that nobody had set anything aside and now they're in a panic, right? And if they're in a panic, what are they trying to do? They're trying to scramble, trying to find money anywhere they can, and chances are they're going to be upset. They're going to be irritated. This is frustrating. Why are they asking for this? And, and that's not operating out of overflowing joy, right? Now it's all grudging. It's all a, a bad thing. So Paul wants to make sure that things are done strategically, they're done with, by the plan, and so that when the time comes, the offering is ready. Let's look at verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap 
generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God consistently in his word instructs us to honor him with our wealth. In this letter to the Corinthian church, Paul gives us clear instructions on how we should give. Now he begins by drawing a connection to farming. If you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. Now what does this mean? Well, years ago, our first house, we actually had grass. Then we lived in the desert where we had no grass. But when we had grass, living in California, it just doesn't rain hardly ever. And if it doesn't rain, your grass doesn't look very great, and occasionally you need to reseed it. And so I would get out the, you know, the thing, and I'd put in grass seed, and I'd start going, and I'd get like one line down, and I'd look back, and I'm almost out of grass seed, and I've dumped everything. And so then I kind of figure out, try to adjust it, and then I would do the rest of the lawn, and I wouldn't run out of grass seed because nothing was coming out. And, you know, at the end of the day, like, I would have one nice-looking stretch of grass, and the rest would somehow look worse than when I started, right? Because I didn't want to do what? I didn't want to go buy more grass seed, right? I wanted to, to make sure that I was able to make that last, and so I would be as sparing as I possibly could and whatever it took to get the rest of the lawn done and... And I was so bad at this, I eventually just let Patty take care of it because she's way better at this than I am. Um, but, but here's the thing. The same thing is true with crops, right? If you plant something and you only use a few seeds, you're only going to get a few plants. And if you only have a few plants, your harvest is going to be very meager, right? And that's what Paul is drawing attention to here. He says, look, if you, if you only give a little tiny bit, if you're worried about holding on to everything you have, your harvest is going to be weak. Your harvest is going to be pathetic. But if you sow generously, then your harvest will be rich. So I want to pause again for the caution. Right? This is not a formula. This does not say that if you give to the work of the Lord generously, he must respond by giving you a big pile of money. That is never stated in Scripture uh, and, and here's the thing. What are we appealing to in that? Greed, right? If you're giving because you're greedy, that's not how God works. But here's the thing. God does promise to respond with blessing. He just doesn't promise that it will be financial. But most importantly, what God cares about is your heart. Are you giving out of your greed or are you giving out of an overflowing joy? Right? Are you giving because of what God has done for you? So let's look at the next verse. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Here it is. God wants your heart. He wants you to consider him first, and he wants you to experience his grace. Remember earlier when I said we would come back to the story of selling our house? So that was about 20 years ago, right? Only I was working. Patty was putting in all the hours, taking care of Grace, who needed a lot of help. And, and we were young, we didn't make much money, um, we'd never been able to give much. We gave, we absolutely gave, it was part of our budget, we gave according to scripture, 
But that just didn't amount to much. We weren't extreme poverty, but we were closer to the Macedonians than the Corinthians, for sure. But then we sold our house. And God blessed us with a pretty substantial chunk of money out of that. And so we got to give like we were high rollers, man. Like it was awesome. We had this chunk of money, more than we'd ever given in like two years. And we got to say, okay, what are we going to do with this? And so we divided it in half. We gave, and then we divided that in half. We gave half to the church we left. We gave half to the church we were coming to. And then with the rest of it, we said, okay, God, show us where you want us to use this. And I'll tell you what, it was so incredibly fun to have somebody request and be able to be like, huh, we could help out here. And we could help out in a greater amount than we've ever been able to because God gave us this blessing. It was incredible. So here's the thing. For a season, we got to be part of the grace of God to others. See, Paul could have written and said, I want to tell you about the grace God has given to the Lingenfelter family. We were part of God's grace to missionaries serving him around the world. We were part of God's grace to the churches we served. We were part of God's grace to the university we attended. We were part of God's grace in all sorts of ways to all sorts of people who needed to know he cared. We got to experience God's grace and be part of his grace to others. It was amazing, it was fun, it was cheerful, and we were definitely blessed. And we weren't just blessed because God had given us money. We were blessed in that act of giving. It was incredible. So here's the best part. A lifestyle of generosity is a tremendous testimony to those around us. God has placed each of us in a relational world, a group of people that we get to make disciples among and that we get to share Christ with those who don't know him. The Greeks had a word for this. They called it what? Oikos. Right? And when you live a life of generosity, you testify to the overflowing joy of Jesus in your life. And it makes an impact on your oikos. So when Tony asked me to preach this message, I was excited to do it because it's something that every person in this room should want to be part of. Don't miss out on what God has for you. He wants to bless you and let you experience his grace. So I want to recap what does Paul say to us in 2 Corinthians? First of all, what you're going through doesn't matter. We can still experience the grace of God even in difficult circumstances. Right? Secondly, how much you make doesn't matter. God does not compare the amount of your giving. He compares the heart behind the amount. The Macedonian church's donations where every bit is honoring to the Lord as the Corinthian church's donations. And the Corinthian church's donations were every bit as honoring to the Lord as those of the Macedonians. Third, we should give in accordance with what we have, not what we don't. Right? It's never healthy for us to look at what somebody else has and think, well, if I had as much as that guy, I could give more. Right? God doesn't call us to that. He calls us and says, look, with what you have, give. And don't spend time in envy about other people. Be thankful for what I've given you. Be filled up with overflowing joy. So generously because God wants to bless you generously. So generously because God wants to bless you generously. In Malachi it says, 
bring the whole tithe into my house, that there may be food in my house. And then what's he say? And see if I will not throw open the storehouses of heaven with blessing, more than you can possibly contain. So generously because God wants to bless you generously. Don't give like someone paying their taxes. Give with a grateful heart. Now, I admit, I am not grateful when I pay my taxes. I'm grumpy when I pay my taxes, right? But that's not what God has called us to. He has called us to be a cheerful giver, to be overflowing, to give because he has blessed us in so many ways. So give out of that overflowing joy. And that's really that last point. Give out of the overabundance of joy that comes from knowing that you are a redeemed child of God who has been saved by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? So what if you don't know Jesus? What if you don't have this joy overflowing in your life? Maybe today is the day that you should make that decision. Let's pray. Lord, I am just thankful and grateful for who you are. I'm just thankful for your incredible love. I'm thankful for your incredible grace. Lord, that charis, that grace, that blessing that just overflows every aspect of our lives. Lord, if you... You have called us to do so many things in your name for your glory. But Lord, if there's folks here that don't know you, maybe today is the day to say, Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner. I know that I have fallen short of what you have called me to. Lord, I believe that Jesus died on the cross and was raised, for the, raised from the dead for my sins. Lord, I, just, I, I know that I have, have done wrong and I ask you to forgive me. And Lord, I choose to follow you. I pray that you would be the Lord of my life. And so, Lord, if there's folks here, I pray that they would, would do that. Admit, believe, and choose. And, Lord, that they would find what it is to have overflowing joy that comes from knowing that we are free, that our sins are forgiven, that you have paid the price, that you have borne our burden. Lord, thank you for giving every one of us the ability to be part of your grace. Lord, thank you that we're not limited by what we make or what we're going through, but that you say you are available to all of us. Lord, thank you for blessing us, for giving us the opportunity to not be living in extreme poverty. Thank you for giving us the opportunity of uh, serving in a church where we can bless one another. Lord, may you be glorified in all that we do. May our finances be something that we step aside and say, Lord, you tell us what you want us to do. May we be obedient, may we be loving, and may you just allow us to be overflowing with joy into rich generosity. So Lord, thank you for who you are and thank you for your goodness and graciousness and great mercy. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul concludes this section of 2 Corinthians this way. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you.
Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. God is calling each one of us to a life of generosity born from overflowing joy that comes from our salvation, knowing that our sins have been forgiven and that we are free to live life to the full. Don't miss out on the blessing he has for you. Go and live generously for God, for God is good. Amen?